Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, motherfucker! What are you looking at, sir? I'm looking at you, miss. I'm not the Zodiac, and if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a very special bonus episode of the One Heat Minute Productions podcast. I'm your host, Blake Howard. I decided to just, uh, I wanted to just give some more airtime to a dear friend of mine who I've made doing the show and his absolutely incredible tone, but God made him a poet watching John Ford in the 21st century. It is the effortlessly mellifluous, usually you hear his lovely voice on now 50 years i think he's been doing it longer than he's actually been alive the unloved putting together like the best video essay series ever uh he's uh, a filmmaker he's in the trenches he's a great writer if you've seen his writing all over the place but particularly this book it is just absolutely sensational and uh i wanted to talk to him about it because one of my favorite movies of all time and i think many people's favorite movies of all time is the searches and when i saw that scout had this selfishly you know there's there's a few films that you want to go to. There's My Darling Clementine for me. And I'm just like, I want to see how Scout wrote about X. And I think that that's how you know you really love someone as a writer and as a critical mind. But man, thank you so much for joining me on this little bonus. I just want to, this is a gas up. This In Australia, we call gas up your mates. And I know that you could probably do that in your great uh, Australian piss take accent that you do. Gas up <laughs> your mates. So this is me just gassing you up. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing, uh, I can't even, I was about to try to join you in the bit, but I couldn't do it because I'm too flattered. Um, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for saying all that. That's just so lovely. Um, I'm doing well. I'm happy to be here. Always happy to talk about this body of work, you know, because I've spent the last two years, uh, actually well, more than that, I guess at this point, um, you know, thinking about this project and making it happen and, and, you know, writing and editing and refining and going to conferences and going on podcasts. And it's just, I, I'm very fortunate that I haven't yet gotten sick of talking about it. Like, you know, there were, there were yeah. moments where you sort of feel like you, you, you know, a subject, but yet you've exhausted it. I'm sure you know about this better than anybody. Um, <laughs> no, I never, never, never felt this. I actually said this the other day. <laughs> Someone's like, Oh, we've got a special podcast. We'd love you to come on any topic you don't want to talk about. And I went, hey, <laughs> just, just, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I am. I, I am. We love, you know, everyone who has listened to our show knows how much I love it. And there's just a point, you know, with every episode that we've done and with every great guest I've had on all of our shows and the way that sometimes it naturally augments and intersects, but I don't need, it's there. You know, there's yeah, 197 or eight episodes of this thing that exists. It's, uh, it's there. It's there. You did it. I mean, that's, you know, Tucker and I coming out of end of history kind of felt the same thing where we were yes. like, 
we had gone on podcast and we had done, you know, she's like several three, four hours or something like that, just on the subject of Ridley and Tony and the, you know, all that stuff. And it gets like, you know, obviously you, you reach a breaking point with certain subject matter, but also then you do things like I read the New Yorker Ridley Scott profile and I was like, he listened to our show, didn't he? <laughs> like, I, was, I was so mad that like, you know, this thing that it's like, no, 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 we've, we've said goodbye to the subject, even as we're extremely excited to see Napoleon. Um, but it was also just like, God, just like, you know. i tell you what, Napoleon around the water cooler, just with even my non kind of like crazy cinephile mates are like mm-hmm. Napoleon, right? And I'm like, I can't wait. I can't I'm, like, wait. I'm like, and then I look around, I'm like, we're all dads now, huh? We're all like, we're all just like, we're all Napoleon dads. It's we're all just guys who are just like oh. fucking plug Napoleon Ridley Scott shooting cannons onto a, an ice sheet into my face because that's all I need for the rest of the year. You know, absolutely true. Yeah, no, that is the that is the attitude, frankly, for me. It like, but that Did like, you see it's that so one funny. the other day where he's like, get a life to this, story. get a life. That was so funny. Well, so briefly, like, one last really tidbit, other than, of course, it's coming out at the same time that Ferrari is coming out, which is another mm. perfect dad movie. Like, we're oh, getting man. dads are eating good this, uh, this winter, but um, looks like dads are back on our menu, boys. That's you know right, what? that's right, that's right. Uh, <laughs> who of course uh, was just in the killer that guy yeah um but uh the other was um, when we saw gladiator on 35 um at the very start of this year um it had a small introduction from uh, a local film historian in cambridge massachusetts he's talking about gladiator he said ridley scott of course hired all of these um uh, historians to come and help him with his project to make it more historically sound and within a couple of weeks the historians quit <laughs> <laughs> I want that on a shirt so bad. <laughs> oh, it's so great. Now, on John Ford, really quickly, and I want to focus, hyper-focus in on a couple of things, but what we were just talking about before we started recording is it is so almost impossible in Australia, like, you know, as a film person, as a person who studied and all that sort of stuff, it's like you look at people's resumes and you go through and some of them are intimidating as far as finding them. And even these days, people have this completely false sense of availability of things. Mm-hmm. They're like, every movie's on Netflix, isn't it? Or every movie. I'm like, no, no. no. Like no. when I look at your list, obviously the big ones are there. I feel like it's so funny. Like the 1939 to 41 run is the most readily available of any of the films. We've got like Stagecoach, Young Mr. Lincoln, Drums Along the Mohawk. Maybe that one's a bit questionable. Grapes of Wrath, Long Voyage Home, and then How Green Was My Valley. Like they all feel like video store titles. But very much so many of his films across, and I'm just picking like different things. So many of his films are like unavailable. That entire Jack Ford silent era piece, I was reading it just like, like I was an alien, you know, like uh, from another <laughs> planet. I was like, wow, like this, all of it sounds like, all of it sounds so amazing. It sounds so great. You know, it's literally a filmmaker who is so iconic, clearing his throat, finding what the art can do for him before, you know, in mm-hmm. a pre, pre-sound pre era. And so like, I just want to talk to you about how like incredibly difficult is it to still find film history from one of the most iconic filmmakers of all time? Well, that's the thing. Like, I've I've had this conversation with a handful of folks about availability vis-a-vis um, prints, especially where yes. it occurred to me um, a, a couple of uh, weeks, maybe months ago. At this point, I was in uh, Portland, Maine, which is very near John Ford's birthplace, for the John and Francis Ford Film Festival, and um, 
It was just is that, a meeting. Is that, of, a, is that a yearly thing or something? No, no. It, it was the first one was in, gosh, 1970. And then the next one was in 1998 or something crazy like Whoa. that. Um, okay. Yeah. They dedicated a statue to John, which you can find in Portland, Maine. I've I visited the statue. Um, and then uh, and then they did another one in like 2013, something like that. And so it's not even close to annual. It was it was something they resurrected, I think, because they were aware, certainly on the in the case of somebody like Joseph McBride, who wrote the definitive Ford biography. He had a new book, uh, rather an old book being repressed. And so they were like, OK, so there's interest in this. Um, I like to uh, uh, think that they saw that my book was out, but I have no way of knowing if that's true. <laughs> but, you know, it was just a way of being like, we we think that this is a good time to do it right now. Um, and so they flew in a bunch of experts. Gerald Perry came up from Cambridge with me uh, and he and Joe have been, you know, arguing about John Ford since uh, the 50s. So they were the perfect, uh, you know, <laughs> Statler and Waldorf to have in there. Um, but I was realizing watching this, we were watching all these beautiful restorations of Francis Ford films. And of course, they showed Wagon Master, which is my favorite of, of Ford's work. Um, and it occurred to me that there had never been even a an attempt at a complete Ford restoration obviously you can't do a complete for restoration because a bunch of them are gone and the, and they probably will be as long as you know you and i are alive um but even if you just factor in the things that are available there has never been a retrospective of as you say one of the most iconic filmmakers of all time there was no theater or festival that has ever done to my knowledge anything above 20 ford titles um and even that, I think, is a, a generous estimate. But it just makes you realize that despite the fact that The Searchers is this thing, this kind of, you know, uh, so we, we I've been doing the Spielberg uh, series with uh, uh, Tucker on, on my Patreon that we're about to make public. You know, we talk about Spielberg as a synecdoche for movies, and he took that mantle from Ford. You know, yes. Hitchcock obviously was too, but in a slightly more perverse, entertaining way, whereas Ford, there was this sturdiness to it, this very American, proud, under the sun, making Westerns, which, you know, Hitchcock never did. Um, um, you know, it was a different approach to that thing. And I think Ford really was to most Americans, the guy that when you think of I'm going to the movies, you think you're going to go see a John Ford Western, whether that yeah. was true or not. It just kind of had that sort of, you know, <laughs> and so obviously a lot of the things that I were wa I was watching, it was all stuff that was like on daily motion one day or YouTube <laughs> that week, you know, yeah. because some of these things weren't around. I would have to go, like, I would want to go back and check my notes and the movie had been taken down or something like that, <laughs> or it was, it was playing at a different streaming service. Um, you know, I was very fortunate that I, I, it, it didn't take me the effort I thought it was going to, to locate some of this stuff. There was like a handful of his shorts. There's a short he made during the Korean war which he he shot it on the set of the Long Gray Line. Um, actually, I'm saying it was during it was clearly after the Korean War because that's 55. But it was about war bonds. It was basically yeah. they took some actors from Long Gray Line and they had them do this little domestic scene, and then they had it as an ad for war bonds. And I haven't seen that because it's on a box set that I just did not have the money to buy at the time that I was writing that uh, particular chapter. But you know, you do a little research and you figure out that it's 10 minutes, and only three of those minutes are you know things that Ford would have imbued with any kind of style. Um, but I was, again, extremely fortunate that even the TV stuff, there was one thing that I wasn't able to track down. And honestly, I'm kind of glad I didn't because it sounds abominable. Um, <laughs> it's this thing he shot for James Wyman's TV show. And it's basically a dry run for seven women, but with somehow far worse politics. Um, <laughs> and I say this as a fan of uh, of that movie, but uh, nevertheless. Um, yeah. But in general, I, I, I got really lucky that we are in this, you know, it's not 
a golden age for availability in the way that people mean it when they say that. Um, it's a golden age for availability if you have no scruples. Yes. Um, where everything that is available is somewhere if you're willing to, you know, peer behind some dark uh, uh, corners to find it. and uh, Or if you've I, got I, patrons like we are so lucky to have on One Heat Minute Productions mm-hmm. and maybe you've got a little Discord group and once you build the community there... They'll tell you where it is? Yeah, you can, you know, and I hap, hap, I'm sure the gang would happily, uh, happily be of service and help. But like, if I don't know where something is, I'm like, hey, gang, does Ask this the exist? Right. Does this exist? And that beautiful little cohort would be like, yeah, we got you. I'm like, thank you very much. That's great. You know, is it, you, but, but this is the thing I was just looking at it. I've just <clears throat> recently uh, made my office much less chaotic and much more structured with physical media and things like that. And the other day I pulled out the, you know, I, I was lucky enough to buy the big Ing- Ingmar Bergman, you know, cinema sure, criterion sure. thing, put money aside for a couple of years ago when it came out. And I'm just like, I would love, and I know it's kind of impossible and there's like a hundred films um, over yeah. many decades with all these different studios, but I'm just like, could we not just, couldn't someone just push like a few decades? Couldn't we just get yeah. maybe the forties, fifties, sixties? Couldn't we just get forties, fifties, sixties as like big criterion, you know, remaster? Like surely there's enough interest there and enough just for like historical kind of significance you know, to keep it running on TCM with like new prints and stuff like that forever. Um, Why can't we have that? Because, you know, my darling Clementine and uh, a lot of the classics are with Criterion. So it feels like that's the right place for some of this, you know? I completely agree. And it would also help you kind of get over the hurdle of how do I sell something like seven women individually? Yeah, you know, exactly. That's, you know, from a pure moving image perspective, masterpiece. Yeah. Um, as a movie, you want to try to explain to audiences in 2023, <laughs> not so much, not no. so much at all. Um, how much time but, do you have? How much time do I have on the stage to explain? Yeah, right. Exactly. Minutes? So let me, uh, huh. um, <laughs> and it was one of the, like, again, talk about, you know, sort of a privileged position being at the John and Francis Ford festival, you know, it really only got about five minutes of an introduction, maybe more than that. Actually, now that I'm saying that, but just the idea that that room of people was in no way going to be put off by the sometimes appalling content of seven women or any other Ford movie. And I like, you know, I, you know have been a commie from way back and i found myself on stage as people are trying to tell me things like the you know the will rogers judge priest movies um and then later the one that they made in in the 50s this uh this the sun shines bright um you know they're like oh but these are good movies about you know they have nice things to say because black and white people get along i was like that's oh man uh i know you're a paying guest at this festival but go fuck yourself (laughs) like i don't know what to tell you man this is a confederate movie And it's not 2000 maniacs like that's yeah. So there are just some people who really do not need that context that they just sort of take at face value what a movie was. And I almost envy those people because it would be easier to be able to say that I appreciate, you know, wouldn't it be nice. Right. To just not think about that stuff. And I I can't do it. I'm sorry. Like I had a person in my life. I don't, want to put them individually on blast, but it's just a very passive, not like, you know, sort of an, in, in an extended friend capacity, family relative capacity, you know, friend of friend sort of thing, not one of my close friends and every movie he would go to, like he knew that I went to a lot of movies, writing and being a film critic, but every movie would go to, I go, how'd, how'd you find it? Oh, I loved it. That was it. That was it. Oh, oh, every Marvel movie, 
every piece of trash that I knew was like the hottest of hot, hot, hot garbage. Oh, I loved it. Right. I'm like, you know what? I'm so fucking happy for you. I'm yeah, like, real. like you, you're a paying customer. You're going to put bums on seats in the theater. Yeah. Fucking you're yeah, keeping... man. I'm stoked yeah. that you loved it. I Awesome. Yeah. I don't you have know? that privilege. <laughs> I yeah. hate things. I don't feel good. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I, was... I feel nothing and I'm like, what did, what was that? Um, and yeah. yeah, I was just, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's a blissful experience, right? It must be, you know, that's, I, I think about that a lot living in this country to just, you know, go through life sort of not curious about things like not to say that obviously it doesn't make you, uh, uh, quite a stressed person. Mm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I just, like, I was, I was, I don't even know if I could say that I was raised to be this way, but I was encouraged in my natural inquisitiveness about things at a very young age. And so I just wanted to keep finding things out because the more that you look into whatever the subject is, the more fascinating, weird shit you're going to find. That's and like that, that's the, that's what I, you know, I think that both you and I have, this is like, there's a boundlessness like if something rewards you digging deeper and it keeps rewarding you with more great stuff, you know, we yeah. were talking about one of our favorite films off air before apocalypse now, like a movie yeah. that the more you dig into it, the every tendril of it, it the crazier yeah. everything becomes around it. The more new documentaries, the, the latest tidbit of an interview of a piece of information over this, over that. It's just all these beautiful things. And, Anyone who's listening to One Eight Minute Productions knows that, like the boundless love that we have for Michael Mann and why he's fascinating. He's a yeah. fascinating individual. Every new movie, every you know sliding door project, every you know thing that happens, he's he continues to breed fascination, and that's you know. But some folks don't need that; they're happy with you, and that's okay. No, you're absolutely right about that. I it's, I, I was having a conversation with you know somebody who, it, while incredibly smart, you know, hadn't seen Casablanca all the way through. And the more that I was trying to bring up, you know, that because they were like, "Oh, you wrote the John Ford book. You you talk about John." There's Wayne my Casablanca poster. That's there. You go. Book. Perfect. It's <laughs> as much as I want to get on the bandwagon that Kurt Sees is not as good a filmmaker as 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 that movie implies he is. I don't know. I just like him. I like him, and I like his movies. Um, but you know, this is somebody who basically looks at a, a, a film from a subject matter point of view and it's like i don't want to watch a movie with violent gender conflicts or you know or, mm. or, or just conflict against you know the indigenous and it's like i understand that i do i respect that but i i'm too far down the rabbit hole to turn back now the best i can do is say i respect your decision to stay at the distance that you have because you must need that distance for your own mental health and i have almost never been somebody who's put my mental health first <laughs> Not when it comes to this stuff, <laughs> or frankly, many of the decisions. Oh, frankly, that I make. many things. I was just many gonna say. Yeah. It's just like it's like <sighs> yeah. I have a misspent youth. I like I have a people are like, you know, oh, when did you start like watching movies? I'm like, well, you know, for from every moment that I can remember, movies were in and around it. Yeah, and then my brother had a job for a um a film distribution company. Back in the VHS days, and some people don't mm -hmm. even know what this stuff is, where they would send out time code videotapes to vi video stores as like the, here's the movies that you can stock. And they would yes. then make their orders off of that. It was like a perk. And often they would send them back to the video stores to dispose of because they're just mm -hmm. kind of test cases. <clears throat> and working for that company, he took every one of those tapes home. Like, you know, because sure. they were just chucking them in the bin. And so we had a collection of hundreds of movies, which is basically from like 1992 
to kind of like 2004, five. So right. every single VHS release through that period, Pulp Fiction, you know, every, like, like I watched Pulp Fiction when I was like nine, like every single movie yeah, you can imagine, <laughs> you can imagine I watched at an unhealthily young age and people are yes. like, yeah, I don't have, I, I have no concept when some people talk about that stuff, that, that, that the, the affect of an amazing film touching some kind of traumatic subject matter that is really triggering for you. I'm like, I don't understand it because I'm clearly broken. Like I was watching shit. I shouldn't have been watching yeah. at way too young an age. And now I'm inured to it in such a way that like, even with my kids, I'm like, no, nah, you can't watch that yet. That's too yeah. big for you. You're not, you're not ready for that. You're not but ready that's, for that. I mean, that, that's a healthy thing to do. I think, you know, like I'm saying is speaking of somebody who's, whose own dad, you know, basically not insisted, but you know, he very easily was just like, Oh, you know, what are you watching right now? Bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. Great. Take a seat. You know, like it was, he was watching this stuff and he knew that I had a curiosity about big it. Big love so to your not... dad. Big love to your dad. I'm a fan. Absolutely and, true. And, and, and I, and, and I've had a couple of memories that literally I sat down and watched bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. The first time about halfway through it was my dad watching it. Right. Yes. In the lounge room, in yeah. the middle of the day yes. on just like yes. a Saturday. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, what are you we watching? The VHS. Yeah. I'm bringing me the head of Alfredo Garcia. <laughs> and I go, Oh, well, what's it about? He goes, sit down. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I'm a small child, basically. Oh, I'm like, yeah, cool. Well, this is a great it, introduction to Peckinpah. Yeah. <laughs> what's next, Dad Straw Dogs? Jesus Christ. I, I, I know. Well, geez, that one, I, he was, he was, he was more, um, I had to seek that one out on my own. I don't know. Yeah, what no, I think that's a, that's, exactly, that, but... yeah, that's a dad. Yeah. That uh, is Alfredo, a dad Garcia, Alfredo Garcia, Wild Bunch. You know, pack out Billy the Kid. Like that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a nice formative pack and par age. Slow motion well, gunfire. Yeah, I mean the slow motion gunfire is the absolutely the thing. But like you know, we at that point, my dad. One of the things that we watched all the time, and I I fucking I broke this VHS tape watching it so much was uh, hard boiled. Oh. And so getting the through line of pack and par through to John Woo was just this thing where that was my baseline for understanding what film action could be and should be. But it was also like there's an abstraction to those movies that they don't sting as much as something where it's about real emotional violence, yes. where you're a kid, you're watching the wild bunch. You get to a degree that Borgnine and uh, uh, William Holden and um, Robert Ryan have this kind of thing going on, but you don't know what it is and it yeah. can't hurt you in the way that it can in a straw dogs type situation. Yeah. Where you're like, Oh no, I know exactly what's going on here and it's not good. <laughs> like, but your brain doesn't really have the, you know, your brain probably wouldn't even know what to make of that scene if you saw it at too young an age. Whereas Wild Bunch, you know, the spectacle and the spectacle is the cool thing and yes. you're getting it in worse movies, you know. So it's just a matter of what what you can make sense of and what you want to make sense of and have fun with. I, you know, this was, again, it was the Heat thing is why I, I, I was anxious to get on your podcast in the first place because Heat was one of the first movies that I watched and obsessed over. Yes. Um, you know, that second VHS tape was just constant rotation in my basement by myself. I could not get enough of that fucking gunfight. It was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Right 
there's a statute of limitations. My one of my best friends as a kid, his sister was a serial double taper. Ah. Uh, and she double taped me like movies or I would borrow them and I had a double tape of heat and I watched that like that's another cool thing is like a VHS that you wear to the ground until mm. it is completely unwatchable is such like a fond memory. I have like you put it in it just goes yep. <laughs> it just screeches. Yeah, you're like, oh. just, yeah the, you can faintly make out the image behind all the you know the, the, the noise. The, yeah the red and the green that comes streaking through. But you know to basically so to, to wrap this back around again it's what you're saying about the amount of time that you spend on somebody, you know, you 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 talking about Michael Mann and you know because he is fascinating that's the Ford thing. It would be very easy I think to either adopt the attitude that you know that was then that was all back then we don't have to judge people based on what they did because everybody had bad opinions and certainly that's true to one degree or another but it's not like we didn't have abolitionists and communists and <laughs> you know, like so <laughs> it seems defeatist to me to adopt that attitude about a movie just because you like it and you know that it's on the wrong side of history and the other side of that is I think it's also the wrong move to look back at something and say, because of the despicable politics that reared their head, you know, not infrequently in this body of work, the rest of it isn't worth studying. And it's like, no, because how do you learn from history if you don't actually know the history? Yeah. And, and you know, and it's also they teach you so much more passively in a giant yeah. popcorn movie that millions of people potentially saw when yeah. the attitudes are passive. There was a great lesson from one of my earliest like film teachers was like, look at all the things that are nothing to them in this. Look at the way they just walk straight by racism or walk straight by gender politics or walk straight by violence and brutality and know that this is a mainstream movie yeah. where they do but it this. Was hugely popular. Hugely it won pop awards, you know, and like so, that's. So that stuff, it's like, then you, you're not just looking at the text. You're kind of pulling yourself back and you're pulling yourself into an audience and you're pulling yourself into a theater where all of that is normal. And then you go, ah, there is a lot here to yeah. examine. There is so much. And then it starts to get to, into that like crazy obsessive compulsion that you and I have, which is, oh, then there's something. Um, yeah. We could talk for hours, but I don't want to keep you for too much longer talking about this because you. Um, I just want to say, I want to pull up a line that, I absolutely loved. Um, oh, geez, I think you're I, I just, <laughs> I just love this one, this line. I immediately scribbled it down in my book, which is he gives peace about 10 seconds of a chance and then hops right back into what he knows best. And I just loved that particular turn of phrase in reference to the searches, because you're talking about um, Ethan Edwards. And I just remember that thing of seeing this man so out of place and coming in and being so hostile and going, you know, this is a story, especially if you grew up uh, around the time that we did and you start going back through Vietnam War movies and it's like, and then you start looking at World War II movies. And I think this is what's great about Paul Thomas Anderson's master is like, oh no, mm. like war fucks people up. Yeah. Like, and it, you're not, you're not a normal guy that goes and gets a job at the store after killing people for five years. Like that's not normal. And that is the thing that is always, uh, you know, people are like, why, how could you like Ethan Edwards? He's a racist. He's this, he's a misogynist. He's this. And I'm like, he's fucked up. And everyone in that space is fucked up. And then they come back to a life that is hostile <laughs> and, yeah. and they have opinions about that. And yes, they're broken, but God, he's fascinating. And I think the boundlessness of 
his character and Ford and everything that Ford is doing with Wayne in this moment for me is in the conception and the construction and the framing and every pause and gesture, like the toolkit that he is operating in, in the searches that is at his disposal is so rarely seen in almost any filmmaker's work. And I think that that's why I was desperate to talk to you about it. Cause I'm just like beat to beat, shot to shot, composition to composition. I'm like, who has these tools now? And some of them are fucking old, our old boys, our dad guys that have yep. these tools. There's no one else. I'm like, is there no, like a gladiator? Is there no one else? Like, is, there, you is know, there no one else? Yep, yep, yep. Like, it's like that, you know, I, I, and I watched this the other night and I was just as riveted as I've ever been watching it again. And I was like, man, I'd love to talk to Scout about this because this movie is fucking unbelievable. It was the movie that I maybe had the most trepidation going into writing about it because yes. I've read not simply all of the Ford books, you know, but also Edward Buscombe's book for the BFI specifically about the searchers, which is a great book. Um, but, you know, you just that movie is a I mean, that movie is is <laughs> if you want to look back at history and and understand why we're still moving in this direction as people, you know, in theory. Yes you have to look at the searchers like there was no other movie that it's like oh yeah no he sucks he's a racist he's a piece of shit he's a violent coward and blah blah blah, blah. and he he won't he won't be nice to anybody if he is like that is us that is the country that is the country's national identity and it's like you know the people who want to like walter hill famously was not a fan of the searchers and i get that because it's tough to be a fan of that movie it's because yeah. it's also tough to be a fan of this fucking country like <laughs> it is absolutely the case that that movie is one of the hardest things even now to watch. I mean, in the Wayne performance, and this is another thing too, that we do this all the time, where because Wayne is so convincing as a racist, I mean, and he was in his own private life, let's be clear, it makes it easy for everyone to sort of wrap the whole thing up in a napkin like they caught a spider and throw it away. And I get that attitude because inviting that in, you know, taking that performance in fully is going to lead you to some dark places where you do, you know, in theory, have to understand somebody long enough to spend, you know, 120 minutes with them. You know, some people are better about that, that I have friends who are really good at dissociating and being able to safely navigate the waters of a really hostile text. Um, I recently had this reaction to Killers of the Flower Moon. I was so put off by the ugliness of that movie that it became very difficult to to really still appreciate just what a magnificent piece of work it is. Yeah. But and I think he does get this it's, from the searchers. Yeah, you know, that, it's I, I, it's it's that thing of the book being uh, for for fans who loved the book Killers of the Flower Moon, they love the alternating perspectives and they mm -hmm. loved being with the ca the characters along this journey and not centering it on the absolute apathetic ugliness of what it is. And is that not just a fucking Scorsese choice? No. Yeah. How about you stay with the ugliest fucking part of our humanity and try and wrestle with how passively ugly people do ugly things to underprivileged others and no one gives a flying fuck. And yeah. as appalling and as abhorrent as all that behavior was, I was like, he knows what he's doing. He's making, this is an exercise for the audience. He's making us sit here to, yes. to, 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 um, to, to soak. Let's soak in it. Let's just simmer in this for a few hours and decide if, if the true depths of the ugliness of America and 
very much as an Australian. The ugliness of our country too is yeah. just resplendent. We, we are, I'm like, I'm like twin nations in this regard. And yes. like, you know, that's my 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 dear friend Patrick Marlborough, who's a great writer um, uh, from Perth, talks about how we got all of our genocidal ideas from from y'all like that was you know it's just like yeah yeah we did them all first like we were so much fucking we were on top of that before you guys even had the idea i was like that's yeah i mean you know it's that is exactly it is that partners in that way across the globe of you 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 need to understand the history to have an appreciation of anything because otherwise you seem like an absolute psychopath talking about american values yes i mean the the, the glint in the eye of people like Mitch McConnell as they stare just like into eternity, deliberately ignoring every terrible thing that has been done to get him on that podium, talking about how coal miners deserve to die or whatever the horrible thing he thinks that week. And that's that's the thing is that the more that you respond uncritically to whatever, the easier it is to dupe you when it comes time for you to understand what's actually going on. And if you have said no to the real story once, it is so much easier to say no Just to it later. No. It's so much exactly. easier. And it's and this is the part of it is that it's so ugly. Of course, it's easy to say no to it. And yet, how do you become a citizen of the world? How do you become a thinking person if you are not constantly reckoning with the things that led up to this moment? And this is this this is the you know it would be really it would be really great if someone summed it up in a sensational line, which I also underlined, which says ah. history is ugly, but art can be beautiful. That's exactly what we're talking about, and I don't think that we can, I don't think that, um, showing ugliness in art and making you reckon with it is a bad thing. In fact, I think it's the thing. I think it's the only way to actually reckon with it is because if you have to face the ugliness in the day to day, sometimes you can understand why someone goes home and watches the fucking office for the 13th time in a row or friends or Seinfeld. Cause no, I'm right fucking that. done. I, I can't contend I'm... with the ugliness anymore. Just give me a, someone trying to move a couch around a fucking stairs and <laughs> sucking at it. That's all I need in my life. You know, I don't need any fucking other thing. I get it. I get you're it. You're right. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, and literally, and that's the thing is that it, you know, it it comes down to not to overly, you're not to guess us by that, but like that is the job of people like you and me. Yes, is we must stare at these things because otherwise they lay there uncritically, you know, you know, and the movies, you know, and and narratives persist because yeah. we don't challenge them or because we don't think them through. You know, what does it say about a culture if uncritically you say the searchers is the best movie of all time and you show that to someone like this is your fucking favorite you know like that's the whole point is without context what is it what does it mean and what does it say about you it's exactly what you're saying about the violence the characters walk past in movies i think all the time about saving private ryan and what a the fucking huge success that movie was and the fact that, that is a world war ii movie that never says the word holocaust you know like it, no. there is no mention of it there was some sense of what's at stake but there was not the sense that comes from watching Schindler's List. And I just think that, like, what an appalling oversight that you're going through this whole thing about the, the right Germans to kill. That it's okay to kill that German over there, but it's not okay to kill this German while he's in front of you. And I was like, you are so missing the forest for the trees here. And I say this with all love to Spielberg, who is one of, I mean, I love that man. Like, he's better <laughs> now than he ever was. Like, I truly believe that. And you know, when we release our Spielberg series in a couple of weeks, like, that's and that's the ugliness that you I, understandably people do not want to reckon with. But the thing is, 
you like you know I, this generation the one you know a couple behind us they're not going to tolerate the silence they're not going to tolerate the complicity they know every transaction micro and macro and they are not going to be satisfied with the narrative that it was just different then sure yeah. it was but also you put up with so much because it was easier yes you know it's like we, we the japanese internment camps that wasn't a secret like this stuff happened it happened oh, on that, everyone's and, watch you and, know and, and it's and it's like the 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 we we grew up in an era where like like i knew older folk and grandfathers who'd fought you know, a long time in World War II, that the racism, especially mm. fought in the Pacific War arena, the racism between the casual racism between older Australians and Japanese for many years, many mm. years, was still there. And with those folk, the context makes it understandable because they spent three years being tortured and then had to come home and act like we can be all friends. And that is just not something that was going to happen. And I'm just and like, like, yeah, it's so hard to wrap our heads around because, you know, you get, you fucking hate a person you work with at your day job for being a dick, you know, like you're like, and, I fucking and, hate that guy. And, and then he's, yeah, he's caught you and he is like putting bamboo shoots <laughs> under your fingernails. And that is like, that is truly it. I mean, like, you yeah. know, I, I, I've, I've heard stories and they're not mine to tell, so I won't name names or anything, but of a guy who was gifted a Japanese car for his birthday after having fought in the Pacific theater and he shot it. He got yeah. his gun that he still had in his <laughs> footlocker. And this was 30 years later. And this is exactly it. Like, yeah, you're right. It's this abstract thing that suddenly has a concrete face. Yes. You're there for some reason that you don't understand because I'm sure that the national narrative of the war was complete nonsense. Yes. And then you're suddenly being faced with the most vicious enemy that you've ever come across in your entire life in a way that you've probably never experienced, even from the most violent element in your life up to that point. You found people who were better at killing you than you were ever going to be at killing them. Yes. And and then you have to just go home. And there is no and sense your neighbor and your neighbor or a guy who runs a shop down from you is yes. looks like a guy who just yep. did that. And your government let, hung you out to dry by making sure that you just go back there and you're like, no, nah, just deal with it. Like it's you know, this is we're 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 friends now. And your psychological trauma, which was all our doing by <laughs> sending you there is now your problem. I mean, yeah. it's the master. It's exactly yeah. the master. That's yeah. exactly what you're talking about. And like Ethan Edwards, the one of the one of. One of the thousand reasons why the searchers rewards close reading is because it gives you a crash course in this without you realizing it. The first scene, which is honest to God, some of the finest filmmaking ever, where he's in the house and he says, you know, what how's California? He says, How would I know? You know, I wasn't in California. So that means after the Civil War ended, he has been wandering for uh, you know the, the entire period doing god knows what like he still has some vague sense of this territory it's supposed to be texas it's obviously monument valley but he's just been doing what exactly he's been living in a tent he's been hunting down and killing people why has he decided at this moment to blow through his brother uh, and and uh, his wife's lives lives at this point in his life what what finally did this what was he not getting anymore out of his bizarro nomadic existence and these are the questions that you need to ask in order to really understand what's going on the rest of that movie is this is a guy who has memorized his hatred in a way that he didn't even do his his niece's appearance where he comes in and he doesn't know how old they are because the last time he saw them they were much younger and so now he mistakes uh debbie for uh the, uh, the other one whose name escapes me but that's exactly it is that that guy's hatred was more important to him than even the idea of domesticity which he of course rejected out of hand years and years ago 
ago when he decided, as, as he tells Ward Bond, giving a great performance, a host of a million great Ward Bond performances. And that guy was a psychopath. Um, <laughs> but he, he, you know, it's this thing is like I signed an oath to the Confederacy and I haven't forgotten it. And that to me is why I will never be able to look at the Will Rogers Judge Priest movies because that guy's a fucking Confederate. And you yeah. see what a Confederate does over here. And it's like, you can't have it both ways. You're really good at this and you get really <laughs> close to having it both ways, but you simply cannot. Yes. And like the more that I got into Ford's methodology and the more that I was trying to like weigh the early years socialism with the later Vietnam support and all that, it's like, no, I understand this is that you are just terrified of people's opinion of you where you can put anything that you that comes into your head. You can put anything on the canvas because it's not real. It's a reflection of you, but it's not who you were. Yes. And this is Wayne. Wayne was like this. I just did a video essay for the duelists. Uh, I'm sorry, not the duelists. I'm sorry, the shootist, uh, which yeah. is Wayne's last movie. And so much of Wayne's filmography is about chasing dignity, because to me, I don't think he allowed it in himself because he knew what a coward he was. Yes. He knew that he was this draft dodging false soul who was supposed to stand up for this ideal and he would talk about things in this way where it was very clear he was blending fact and fiction where he could not get over attitudes that he was seeing in in reality versus the ones that he was seeing on film screens and ford obviously talked about how he didn't like peck and pause uh, whatever because you know it was too violent and it was shot too artistically but that was the thing it was self-conscious about that and this was the stuff that these guys couldn't allow themselves. Ford wasn't really allowed to be self-conscious. If he stopped for too long to imagine the role that he was playing in the lives of the people that he knew, not least his family, whom he essentially tormented for the entire time that he was married to his wife and the father to his kids. If he thought about any of that for a minute, it all would have fallen apart. And he so desperately needed approval from people. You know, the famous story of the uh, the Directors Guild fight where he said the quote, I'm John Ford and I make Westerns. That was because Cecil B. DeMille was running for the president of the Directors Guild and he was a fascist and a, a lunatic and he didn't want that to happen. And William Wyler represented the more left wing version of the Directors Guild. So Ford sided with Wyler publicly and everybody gives him hosannas for that, as they should. But then he wrote a letter of apology to Cecil B. DeMille, not one, but I think two, basically saying, like, I don't know what the big deal is. You know, I, I had to do this or you know, whatever. And it's because he didn't want DeMille to not like him. You know, he he, <laughs> he needed people. He needed people's approval. He just did. You know, there's that famous story, uh, which is one of many things like Tucker and I talk about turning John Ford's life into a, like a National Lampoon's movie more often than not, <laughs> because there are so many insane stories of his drinking where he and his wife were supposed to go on vacation in the South Pacific. There's some question as to whether he was spying for the United States government while he was doing this. This is unsubstantiated. So who knows? But in the movie, uh, he, it's happening. Yeah, in, in the, the movie, movie it's he's happening. Yes, he's yeah. he's the drunkest spy we have. Yeah, um, <laughs> there's two guys in suits that have that exact conversation. Yeah, very much. So he's yes. the drunkest spy we have. He's perfect for the South <laughs> he's Pacific. True, he's the drunkest spy in the South Pacific. Um, and at the last minute, he calls George O'Brien, the star of Sunrise, who had been in a couple of his movies. He's of course the strapping young man in uh, the Iron Horse. Um, and he says, when I come to the South Pacific, I'm going to go, you know, drink a lot. And George O'Brien was like, yeah, sure. Sounds good. And he gave his wife's ticket away to George O'Brien instead oh the day they were leaving. And <laughs> and then they get to the South Pacific and they're hanging out in, you know, whatever the South China Sea. And they're just, you know, going from hotel to hotel. And Ford will not stop drinking. He will not get sober for even a minute. And George O'Brien is like, are we ever going to, like, see some sights or whatever? Are we going to, like go to you know even go to a bar you're just drinking in your hotel room so one morning he came in there 
to try to shake him awake to be like, hey, you want to go fucking see a beach or something? And a bunch of bottles tumbled out from under the sheets onto the floor. She's like, well, fuck this. I'm tired of this. I'm not doing this anymore. And he left him there and went home. And then Ford was so put off by what he perceived as George O'Brien finally having found the line that he could no longer torture him, that he didn't cast him in a movie for another 15 years. Like this was how Ford's brain worked. And that's the thing that I think gets lost in any discussion of his politics is I don't think there was a single political position he held that was more important than the approval of the guy right over there who he really loved for some reason. He was the most intimidating man in any room. And yet he had no self-esteem. Oh my God. Read this fucking book, people. Go and find it <laughs> online. But God made him a poet watching John Ford in the 21st century. My great guest wrote, I, I'm not going to spoil it because I want you to get the book, but there's a there's a beautiful sentiment where you talk about this movie and your dad, and it made me sob. So I'm not going to read it in front of you no. and sob in front of you. It was absolutely beautiful. So shout out to your dad. Um, and man, thank you so much for talking to me. I, I can't wait to see whatever else that you do. I can't wait to see you back in the filmmaking game and, uh, always a brother in fucking oh, uh, catastrophic and- obsessions and, um, and, uh, life altering things that we <laughs> throw ourselves into. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah. Um, so it's, heedless, it's amazing. Heedless. It, it it's- just, um, it's, a, it's an amazing piece of work and so essential on that context piece. And I'm very grateful that you wrote it and it's so beautifully written and, um, and has amazing Tony Stella art on the front, which is just magnificent. So, um, but, but, but yeah, just thank you so much for writing it. Thank you so much for talking to me again and good luck, um, on your creation stuff. I can't wait to see you making some stuff again. I, I, I am so moved and just so happy to be back. And so anytime you, you, I don't care what the fucking subject is. Just (laughs) let me know. I'll come back on in a heartbeat. I never have more fun than I do on this show. So just thank you so much. I'm so moved by, by, by all of this. And I just had, as always a wonderful time talking to you. So just thank you for making me feel welcome. And thank you for, for, you know, we, we, we do share this thing and it's just so great to, to, to be able to do it. And so just, yeah, this w- w- the the ten minutes run up to any conversation that we have where we have our confessional yes, is exactly. worth is worth it for the next <laughs> hour of legitimate time. talks. We just yeah. talk to each other, just like, oh god, I found. Yeah, it's like, yep. it's, There's a moment I refer to in Se- Seinfeld's comedians with cars and coffee. He goes, he he's at a party one time and he sees Chris Rock across the room and Chris Rock and he lock eyes and Chris Rock runs over and he grabs him by the shoulder and goes, a comedian. And yeah. and every time I see you, I'm like, there, there's another one. Yep. Stop. We just have yep. to get this out. This is how our no, brains work. And then and, we, can, and it, and we yes. function again. Sort of. We sort of function. But it's, I mean, truly, it's. <laughs> I was being you know, odd. And you're like, I was, yeah, sort I of. know. <laughs> we keep doing this to each other. Or one of us will say, like, ah, oh, are you sure? <laughs> like, you know. But uh, I think, you know, that's the thing is that every time we do this, it's like, yeah, no, we could have gone for another hour. Like, I happily would have, like, surrendered the rest of my night to doing this. Like, I just, it's. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. These are, you know, as I, I was, I, I saw my dear friend Sidon Dadlaka the other day, and it's exactly the thing is that he was telling me in real time. He's like, you know, usually when I'm meeting up with people who do this job, I, I kind of like to show up late because I always want to get out of the conversation. But I'm finding myself interested in the things that you're saying and i was like that is the deepest compliment that anyone could ever pay me because i am having the same conversation that i have with you that i have with every nerd that i know who is my people and these are my people are the people with whom you could just talk for hours about heat or thief or president's men or apocalypse now or the searchers and it's like yeah no this is 
and that movie especially god it's just so yeah it's whew, so thank you for giving me this chance and thanks for having me and I, I'll, I'll come back and you know just whistle and i'll come i i will definitely do that you're the best i will talk to you soon thank you so much thank you so much